0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. We will return to the book of Acts, Lord willing. But we are in an interesting season with some travel on my part and, and other things. So we are able to work through some passages that are near and dear to my heart in this season. They should always be near and dear to our heart in season and out. Uh, But the Lord has uh, prepared for us some important messages over these past few weeks, and today, of course, is another one. Proverbs chapter 7, let us pray. Father, help us, we pray. Grant that by your kindness, through your beloved Son, and by your Spirit, we would hear your word, that it would not be a mere noise to us like wind over a rock, but indeed would be converting that it would be light to us, that it would be truth to us, that it would indeed be implanted in us, that we would indeed, Lord, find ourselves with an unfamiliar strength to lose the whole world so we would cling and keep this word. We pray, Father, that we would indeed be such men and women in Jesus Christ, that we would be willing to follow him out of the world to keep that rule and righteousness of your kingdom. We thank you that he is the author and the pioneer of this, that he is the perfect son. But we would be like him, Lord, evermore. Grant it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight, your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, And at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. And today, I have paid my vows. So now, I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love. Till morning, let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. This is God's word. <clears throat> Beloved, consider for a moment three very short stories. Number one, there is a man in a hotel room far from home. He's away on business, and with him in his hotel room is a television. On that television are shows and images that if he were at home watching them, his wife would think he is beginning to unravel the bonds of faithfulness. But this man, on this night, in this hotel room far from home, does not watch any of those shows. No one is with him. There is no risk of getting caught. No one will ever know. But even so, he refuses to watch any of the sole darkening images on that TV, why does he refuse? Number two, there's a young man in a blue shirt standing in a group of other young men. They are in a hallway at school, or they are at a park, or they are at a restaurant getting burgers, or they are in a basement of a house on a game night. Another young man appears and he starts to show the group pictures on his phone. Pictures of a girl that should never have ever been taken. But the young man in the blue shirt refuses to look. In fact, he rebukes the boy holding the phone. Put that away, don't ever do that again, he says. Instead of always being friendly, the boy in the blue shirt is unfriendly at just the right time. He protects a girl he will never meet. Why? Why does he stand up and rebuke? Why does he rebuke the decay and the corruption being offered so cheaply? Number three, there is a young woman preparing for a dance. She is in her bedroom with her three friends. As they are talking, she learns her three friends have been sending indecent pictures all week to the boys who will escort them to the dance. These girls are surprised to learn the young woman has not done the same. They urge her to do it now. They will help her pose the pictures right there. She resists. They insist. She resists again. She says, never. Why? Why does she resist participating in a thing that would only strengthen her friendship with these girls? Later that night, one of the girls privately tells this young woman how ashamed she is for sending those pictures. And she wants help. She wants a strong friend like that young woman. Now, these three short stories are commonplace stories in the modern life of man. In each, though, there is a smell of death. Death is near, but in each there is also a clear sign of life. Why are there signs of life? The reason is the same in each case. The reason why a man away from home refuses, the reason why a young man in a group rebukes, the reason why a young woman in another group resists, Is because they are each controlled by something you cannot see in the room. They are controlled by what they love. They are controlled by a hidden love for wisdom. And this love for wisdom dwells where all love dwells it dwells in the heart, the control room of life, the engine room of the soul, the heart. So at the beginning of our passage today, Proverbs 7, verse 3, that verse urges a young man to have God's commandments heavily written on his heart, engraved as if on a tablet. And at the end of the same passage, verse 25, urges this young man, let not your heart turn away To her ways. Let not your heart be so light, so empty, that it turns like a sail by a light wind. What is needed for every young person and every old person is a heavy, hidden love for wisdom in the heart. That's what this passage is about. Only then will you not be controlled by all the things you can see, things constantly being offered before your eyes, constantly being offered to your ears, constantly being offered to your skin. You will be controlled by those things all your life until your heart is heavy in the best way, heavy in the treasury of wisdom. You are to be controlled by something hidden, something good in the heart. I want you to notice with me verse 1 of our text. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Now that Hebrew word translated as treasure up in your English Bible is literally the word for hide. We keep and we hide. What is of great value? The plumber was just at my house. He left a new hole in my wall to access old plumbing in one of our bathrooms. And he put one of those nice plastic covers over it. And you know what that means? That I have to spend too much time on Amazon trying to find a wall safe that can go in there. What an opportunity. We hide that which is valuable that we don't want to lose. The mother of Moses hid her baby for three months. Same word. She treasured him. Rahab of Jericho hid the two spies. She treasured them. Job treasured up the words of God more than his portion of food. Job twenty three twelve. The Lord hides those whom he loves in his shelter in the day of trouble. Psalm 27, 5. David hid God's word in his heart so he might not sin against the Lord. Psalm 119.11. The human heart can only be solid and heavy with the best things when it treasures the word of God. Otherwise, you will be as light as a paper boat. Have you ever successfully steered a paper boat? It is steered, isn't it? not by the creator. Such is your heart if it is not heavy with the words of God, the commandments of God, the wisdom of God. We will only want to keep God's commandments when we greatly value them because we greatly value the God who gave them. This is why we must see that faith in God is implied as the foundation in this passage. It is so easy to read your Bible and miss the presence of these other foundational truths. But here it is. Faith in God is implied as the foundation of everything said in Proverbs 7. To keep the commandments of God is to treasure them because they are from God, not man. It is God who has loved us unfailingly. Not men. It is God who has redeemed us from sin. Not men. It is God who did not spare his only begotten son. It is God in Christ who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you treasure the things God has commanded of you? Because it is God who has commanded you. That is faith. For God's sake first. Is God's wisdom like a sister to you? A close relative who you keep close because she cares deeply for your well-being. You trust her. Or is your heart empty? Is your heart light? Is it easily pushed around by things you can see. Now we have to look at this parable. We have to walk with it as it advances. So look at it. In verse 7, Sister Wisdom is looking out the window and she sees a young man lacking sense. The Hebrew there at the end of verse 7 is literally a young man lacking heart. This text is about the heart. His heart is lacking. It's in want. It's underdeveloped because he loves the wrong things. The heart can only become full, solid, and weighty when we love God and God's wisdom and God's commands. This young man is lacking heart. He has not treasured up the things of God, which makes him easy prey for the wily of heart. Verse 10. He is a little rabbit walking through a forest full of wily, hungry wolves. What makes these wolves so wily? They conceal. That's what wily means. They camouflage, they hide their real plans. And their real plan for this young man is to lead him away from life and bring him down into death. To lead you away from the blessing of God into the judgment of God. That is the plan of the wily in heart. And they are everywhere. You cannot live in a place where there is no one wily of heart. Christ doesn't even want you to live in such a place. He wants you to get a heart that is solid and heavy and full of the treasure of God's wisdom. Then you can live almost anywhere, like Joseph in Potiphar's house. We'll come back to him. The wily of heart want to add you to the pile of those whom they have slain. Piled high up in the grave, in the chambers of death, are these lives of men and boys and women. All who had a name, all who filled a bassinet, all who had promise, they are now in the chamber of death, piled up, wearing their name tags of life. The wily of heart want to add you to their conquest. And how do the wily wolves get this young man lacking of heart to the chambers of death? Well, did you see it? The wily of heart control this young man by his senses because his heart is empty. The wily put things before his eyes, in his ears, in his hands, on his lips. They have a sensate dominion Look at verse 10. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. This wily wolf of a woman is in the business of making herself visible. That's her chief business but especially in the way she presents her face and her body to the eye of the empty-hearted. She is dressed like a prostitute, meaning she is dressed as a woman who wants to control empty-hearted men by advertising her beauty and the form of her body. She doesn't want people to deal with her Based on her wisdom, based on her spirit, she wants people to deal with her based on her form and her looks. And she's for sale on the internet. Wily men, of course, can do the same thing to empty-hearted women. But our text is talking about women doing this to young men. Why? Because the Lord, by giving us a lesson for young men, is telling us that a society, a church, a home, crumbles when the head of that society, church, and home crumbles. Attack the head, and you will win everything under it. It's not a question about value. Men and women are valued equally in Christ. It's a question of order and structure. The devil and his minions know how to bring down any institution that God has created. The wolf, our text says, wants to be looked at you think she's dressed in her wolfishness she is dressed as a grandmother but as a prostitute grandmother easy quiet loud pretty gentle loud she is a master of manipulation on the eye She wants to be looked at. She wants to stand out, not to blend in. She wants empty-hearted men to think she is available, loose, and easy. And she adds noise to her visuals, loud speech, loud laughter, mingled with smooth talk. She does not want to be overlooked. She wants to turn heads. Young men, you are getting a class, a course in this text on how to spot a wolf. Does she want you to see her? Is that her number one purpose in being out, to be looked at? She is a wolf. And then she adds touch to her conquest. Verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him. The empty-hearted now will have no strength to run away from this kind of touching. The strong-hearted man Joseph, he ran away when Potiphar's wife, the text says, laid hands on him. He fled. But the, empty, the empty-hearted are trapped by touching. It's a light touch, it's a central touch, but it's paralysis. The empty-hearted can't move anymore. They cannot flee, and the wily wolf then finishes them off with flattery and bold denials of danger. Look what she says, verse 14 and 15. I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. This is fatal flattery. She assures him that she is a religious woman, She has made a peace offering before God. She probably also has some meat now from that offering. And so she is well supplied at her home. But all this flattery is to help him drop his guard, if any of his guard is yet remaining. And then she pours on how desirable he is. I have come out to meet you, to seek you. I have found you. Look at that sentence. I have come out to meet you, to seek you, I have found you. That is the motto of every pornographer who has ever gone into business with pornography. To make the man on the other side of the screen think he is being desired by a woman he will never meet. You, you, you. It's a fatal flattery. It's a torpedo to the battleship of an empty-hearted man. They're sunk. The deception about how desirable they are, it's going to kill off their last resolve. It is a deception because she would say it to anyone who is willing to give her attention. Now, to make sure the resolve of the empty-hearted is fully defeated, this wily wolf adds one more thing. She denies all danger. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. There's no chance of us getting caught. This is her best closing argument. She has a, the stroke of tongue to silence Perry Mason. I'm dating myself and those of you who recognize the name. Her best closing argument, her knockout punch, her husband will not be home for days. One night together comes with no risk. She is doing the work of the devil, isn't she? Remember Genesis 3, 4? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She has the script. She's employed by the scriptwriter. The lie that sin has no consequence is believed to be the truth by all the empty hearted. And having believed the lie is the truth, the empty hearted become as dumb as beasts. Look at verse 22. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Here is the truth, because she won't tell you. Here is the truth. Getting caught is not the greatest danger. The greatest danger is getting devoured again and again by the wily wolves of the world. The more you are devoured, the more dull you are to the death that is at work in your life. You will even think you are alive while you are dead. You will be dead to the words of God's wisdom. They will just be a clanging noise somewhere from some preacher. Your ear will be dead to the commandments of God. Your eye will be dead to the tricks of the prostitute, and you will walk into her arms. Your internal alarm will be dead. Your internal alarm about everlasting judgment will be dead. And you'll be moving toward hell, thinking that your indifference about hell will somehow make it less terrifying in reality. And it will not. See, this is the greater danger, not getting caught but becoming dull to the death work in your own life. And your heart, of course, will be dead, unable to love God who is love. Let me ask you a question. This is a diagnostic question to help us think about how we are hearing things. Why did this young man end up in the slaughterhouse, in the grave, under the judgments of God? Why did he end up there? It is not because of this wolf-like woman. That is not correct. It was because he had an empty heart, a weightless heart, a disordered heart. Verse 25, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. There are her ways. There she is. There she is. She's on your screen. She's in your school. She's in your neighborhood. She's at your college. We could take out she and put in he. She's near, but let not your heart turn aside to her ways. If there were no wily women in this entire city of Proverbs 7, this empty-hearted man would still have found his way to death. If she wasn't there, the pornographers would have trapped him. Or the homosexuals would have trapped him. Or the transvestites would have trapped him. Or the dirty old men would have trapped him. Or the lust of power would have trapped him. Or the lust of wealth would have trapped him. Or the lust for leisure and for entertainment and constant comfort would have trapped him. Any one of these would have brought down an empty hearted man into the chambers of death. Because an empty hearted man cannot be controlled by anything but what he sees and what he hears, and what he touches. He has no hidden treasure to control him, like the three I introduced you to at the beginning. Of course, what an empty-hearted man needs is a new heart. He needs a heart that is full, that is heavy with the treasures of God. Only then can a man or a woman or a boy or a girl be controlled by what is true and right and life giving that nobody else can see. Because faith is the assurance of things unseen. And the new heart is a work of God. The only thing that can fill our heart with love for God is do you know the answer? The only thing that can fill our heart, make it full and weighty and solid with love for God and his commands is God's love first shining into our heart. Does God have love for men who are lacking heart, who have just been led off like cows to the slaughterhouse? Will God make his love known to such? Absolutely. Did you notice how this story ends in Proverbs 7? It ends in the slaughterhouse. There is a room at the back of this woman's house. It's the chamber of death. You open the door to it, and you look down, and there is a long stairway into darkness. Do you know what God has done for such men? God has sent his one and only son to walk through the streets of this city. Jesus Christ stood at the top of these streets of sin, and he looked down that street at all the houses of sin, and he started walking through the life of sin. And he went into every one of those houses of sin. And he picked up the sin. And he put it on his back. He participated in it not. He was without sin. But he went to every house on this street, picked up the sin, and he got to the final house, the slaughterhouse, the chamber of death, the grave. And he went into that house. He went into that house that belongs only to prostitutes. He went into a house that belongs only to men lacking heart. He went into a house belonging only to those who hate the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went into the house of condemnation, went into the house of the grave. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ said, I will go and I will bear the judgment of the prostitute, the judgment of the fornicator, the judgment of the adulterer, the judgment of the abortionist. I will go and bear the judgment of the homosexual." I will go and bear the judgment of the pornographer and their customers. I will go into that back room and go down those steps, and I will be smothered by death. That's what Christ has done. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. When Christ came into the world, he came to get to that last house on the street. And you know why? So that the good news of God's love could penetrate into your heart and shed light in your heart for the first time And for every day after, so that your heart would become full and solid. If he who did not spare his only begotten son commands you, keep his commands. Has he not proven his love for you? Is there not love in his commands? Yes, because there is love in the giving of his son. Beloved, this is the good news. The good news is that you and I have so much sexual sin, not only in our bodies, but in our hearts, that we belong in the chambers of death. But someone in our nature has gone there in our place, and he has been raised up from the chambers of death on the third day to give you newness of life, forgiveness of sin, change. Of will in what you treasure. Can you be persuaded by this kind of love? Can you be persuaded by this kind of love to love God and His commandments? He has nothing else with which He persuades you because He persuades you by giving you His very best, Jesus Christ. Let us pray that you would be persuaded, that our young people in this room would be persuaded, that we would prefer to die than to sin because we are so persuaded.